Hello and welcome to Well It Depends, a podcast exploring the grey areas of health, fitness and life. I am your host, Charlie Beestone. I'm a qualified nutritionist and performance coach who works with everyone from elite athletes and CEOs to recreational gym goers and the general population. Well, it depends is the title of this podcast as it's probably the three words that I say most often when asked a question. Because more often than not, the answer is, well, it depends. The aim of this podcast is to try and resist the urge to oversimplify complex topics and to dive deeper to help you, the listener, improve your understanding at a less superficial level. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope that it challenges you to reappraise your tightly held beliefs, that you remain open to alternative perspectives and that you deepen your understanding of the subjects discussed, even if you already have some knowledge of the topic. As basketball coach John Wooden once said, it's what you learn after you know all that counts. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Well It Depends, the podcast where we try and explore some different topics related to health, nutrition, fitness and just general life stuff and try and look at both sides really because the answer is rarely black and white. The answer is normally very different shades of grey, not in that way. And that's what I wanted to use this podcast for, is to explore different angles and look at ideas. And today's episode is around imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is something that I had quite a lot of people on social media ask me to cover. It's something I've spoke to a lot of people about. It's something that I've struggled with personally quite a lot in the past um, so I thought it'd be a really nice topic because there are so many different parts of it that we can dive into. Before we get started, if you can give this a rating on wherever you listen to podcasts, if you can review the podcast, if you can share it with people, share on social media, it really does help. And it means that more people can listen, which means that I can devote more of my time to it. So yeah, please do share it and review it and all the stuff that actually helps it grow. So imposter syndrome is something I wanted to cover because it's something that I've struggled with a lot. And actually, I quite enjoyed doing a little bit of research on this and doing some thinking about my own views and perceptions on imposter syndrome. So if we start off with what it is, it's it's, essentially the inability to believe that any success you've achieved is deserved or has been legitimately created through your own skill or effort. It was first described in the 1970s by uh, psychologists Suzanne Imes and Pauline Rose Clance, and it was first observed in real high achievers who were unable to internalise and accept their success, and they'd put it down to luck or some other factor. So these researchers suggested that it's not a pathological disease, it's not damaging or destructive, but it can interfere with our psychological well-being and our enjoyment of work and of life. At first, they believed it was just in women, but research since has shown that it's experienced by all genders and also in a variety of different job roles, so it's not specific to high achievers. It's estimated that 70% of people will experience imposter syndrome at at least once in their lives. Joan Harvey, a researcher on this in the 80s, suggested that anyone who fails to internalise their success can feel like an imposter. Again, it's not just people that are super successful. Adam Grant talks about this. So if you are if you've been following the podcast for a while and you're doing some sort of drinking game where you have a shot every time I mention Adam Grant, feel free to get pissed again today. 
he says that imposter syndrome is the opposite of the armchair quarterback. So the armchair quarterback being someone who sits and watches sports and shouts at the TV about how much better they can do. The imposter is pretty much the opposite of that person. So if we're to define imposter syndrome and look at some of the characteristics of it, there's a couple of different theories on what it takes to sort of develop imposter syndrome. The first one was suggested by Clance, which had six different characteristics, um, and they were the imposter cycle, the need to be special or the best, superman or superwoman aspects, fear of failure, denial of competence, and fear or guilt about success. The imposter cycle, I only came across this quite recently, and it was really interesting. So it starts with achievement-related tasks, so anything that we do related to whether we can be successful with it or not. Uh, and this brings anxiety, self-doubt, or worry. And then we basically cope with these feelings in two ways. We either over-prepare or we procrastinate. Personally, I'm a procrastinator, and I have been for a while now and actually knowing this really helped me think about the reasons that I procrastinate so we go into these two different modes of working we accomplish whatever it is that we were doing with the task we get this feeling of relief because thank god the task's done and it went okay and I didn't completely screw it up we get positive feedback potentially and then we discount that positive feedback completely because that's a crucial part of imposter syndrome we feel like frauds we feel that anxiety all over again and we go back into that cycle and that cycle repeats on itself so for me that was definitely something that I could relate to and that I would get the anxiety about a task I would procrastinate leave it till the last minute finally get it done because of the deadline feel some relief maybe get some praise for it feel like a fraud because it, I got lucky because I did it last minute and then go through that cycle again uh, the second one was the need to be special or to be the very best. So imposters harbour this need to be the very best compared with their peers. Um, Clance in the 80s found that imposters have usually been top of the class throughout their school years, but then they get to a larger setting, so university, for example, or work, and realise there are a lot of people that are exceptional and their own talents and abilities are not. I think this is probably something that I found because at primary school I was in a relatively small class and was generally in the top two maybe three four all subjects like throughout and then I got to high school in a much bigger year of 170 180 kids and was average at best in terms of in the top set class so that brought me back down to earth quite quick um, and the same with sport actually where I was reasonably good at football as a small kid and then people join the club or you get to a higher age group in different leagues and realize just how bad you actually are Number three was Superman or Superwoman aspects. So imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome refers to this perfectionistic tendency. Uh, imposters expect to do everything flawlessly in every aspect of their life. For me, this isn't something I get a lot. Like I don't have to do work perfectly. I'm quite happy shifting work that's good enough and not perfect. But Clance makes the point that you probably only need two or three of these characteristics to identify with this sort of imposter syndrome. Fear of failure, so high levels of anxiety when exposed to an achievement-related task because they fear possible failure. Um, again, something that I do struggle with in that I won't even start work or projects or tasks because what happens if no one sees it, no one likes it, no one buys it, for example, in a business context. So, yeah, I, I've had fear of failure with work to the point where I actually won't start work before. Um. 
Number five is denial of competence. So imposters have difficulty internalizing success and accepting praise as valid. I, particularly at the start of working as a nutritionist, when someone did really well, I would just put it down to them and it's because they did hard work and they did all the things that were right and they'd have done it without me. And that wasn't me being humble. That was me genuinely believing that I probably didn't contribute to that person achieving whatever goal they had. And I think this was especially true when I used to work with people and it was more numbers focused. So it was more based around calorie targets and macro targets more than anything else. I would just put it down to the fact that they managed to stick to numbers or maybe they didn't even hit the numbers and they changed them. And that's why they were successful. It was nothing to do with me, which probably sounds a little bit bizarre, but that was something I really struggled with for the first couple of years of working with people. And then number six is fear and guilt about success. So not only discounting positive feedback and actual evidence of being successful, but trying to prove that they don't deserve that praise or credit. So being worried about success, because if we achieve success, then at some point people are going to find us out as imposters. So that was Clancy's six different characteristics of imposter syndrome. Harvey and Katz had a slightly different definition with uh, three components. So the belief that the person has fooled other people, uh, fear of being exposed as an imposter and the inability to uh, attribute their own achievement to internal qualities such as ability, intelligence or skills. And I can identify with all three of those as well. So that's basically what imposter syndrome is. What's interested me more recently is where does it come from? Why is it that some people do really struggle and feel like imposters in their work? And a lot of the research is focused around two different parts, uh, around the role of family and the role of perfectionism. So Clance again spoke about four different family factors that contribute to imposter syndrome. The perception of imposters that their talents are atypical compared with family members. Family messages that convey the importance of intellectual abilities and that success requires little effort. You just have to be intelligent. A discrepancy between feedback about an imposter's ability and their success from family and from other sources and a lack of positive reinforcement when they do something well. And this really interested me because from my own personal experience, I didn't feel this. I never were was put under any pressure to succeed by my family from any member of my family in any facet of my life, really. However, what I can relate to is always feeling a pressure to succeed, but I've always for as long as I can remember, put that on myself. I've never had external pressure to be successful from anyone else, but I've always felt that. And I've no idea whether that was from playing sport since I was such a young age, um, whether it's been the middle child with two older brothers, maybe it was being brought up and maybe wanting more than we had. So maybe I, we didn't have loads when we were kids. We never completely struggled, but we didn't have a lot maybe I worried about living like that and maybe I wanted to be successful and not have that. I've no idea, but I've never had any pressure from parents or grandparents or family members or other people around me actually to be successful. That that pressure has always been there, but it's always been from me. So I found that really interesting. And I know a lot of people are very different with that. And a lot of people have family pressure and some of those other aspects where they didn't get positive reinforcement. It was always about, well, you didn't do this or you could have done that better or that didn't work or why didn't you win? All those sorts of things. Um, 
having worked with athletes so that that was something that really stood out to me was how many athletes had parents like this which probably they probably go beyond the sort of pushy parent identity and were actually quite uncaring potentially towards their children and the other factor is perfectionism so the need to be the best the need to be able to do everything flawlessly um the tendency to overwork these are all characteristics of imposters so and they tend to discount positive feedback because obviously perfection is unattainable in the majority of tasks with the majority of things a lot of the time we couldn't even say what perfection would look like but because perfection is unattainable we don't attain it and then any positive feedback we get feels disingenuous because we know that we've not been perfect so why are you praising me because it's not perfect it's not even good because i didn't do it completely right and that's really interesting as well there's actually a study that backs this up that has found that imposters reported a higher concern about their mistakes and they actually were more likely to overestimate the number of mistakes that they've made in a task they were more dissatisfied with their performance and they viewed their performance as less successful than non-imposters did so again clear evidence that perfectionism has a role in imposter syndrome quite frequently for me i've never been a perfectionist with my work but that sort of almost irrational drive that I want to be the best. Like I think it's healthy to have a drive to be the best you can be, but to assume that you can be the best that ever does anything that you're doing, I think is obviously for everyone, but one person that is irrational because it won't happen for everyone. Not everyone can be the best at their thing because other people are doing it and there can only be one best of the thing. So you could question whether it's even useful to try and pursue being the best rather than being your best. But that was always something I struggled with, particularly at university, particularly during my master's. I wanted to be the best on my course. I wanted to be the best person I'd gone through there. I wanted to be the most knowledgeable. Um, But when it came to work, I've never felt like I can't put work out because it's not perfect. So there's family, family factors and perfectionism that play into imposter syndrome. For me, having reflected on some of the reasons i think there's often quite a big imbalance with imposters between their competence and their confidence so obviously competence greatly exceeds their confidence they're clearly good at their job at their role at what it is they do but they don't have the confidence in their own competence to back that up which i think is really important when we come to think of solutions or fixes for the problem and we'll chat about some of those later on Why is it so difficult being an imposter? Why is that so hard? I think the main thing is that in the face of evidence, the lack of self-belief still persists. So Chris Williamson speaks about this imposter adaptation where our imposter syndrome persists and adapts even in the face of evidence of our capabilities. So we can be given all of the evidence that we are good at something or we are talented or we are knowledgeable and we still don't see it. So even with an increasing amount of evidence, we don't see an increase in belief in our abilities. And I think that's why it's so difficult. It's not just that we don't feel good enough. It's that sometimes no matter how much evidence is provided, we still don't see it. And I think that's why so many people struggle with it. I think the other part of it is, for me, the anxiety came not from not being good enough, but from being found out as not good enough. So it was more about, the perception of other people around whether I was going to be 
whether I was good enough and whether people are going to find me out and say, actually, no, he's a charlatan. He doesn't know what he's on about. Um, no one should listen to him. And I think social media actually plays a big part in that at the moment where so many people are so trigger happy and so willing to call people out for the slightest mistake or for anything they just don't agree with. And I think that really can make it difficult to put anything out into the world or to even back yourself enough to do your job because as soon as you do that, you think, well, maybe I'm going to be found out. Maybe what I've just said isn't right. Even though you think it is, or you can at least explain why you think that way, you do worry that people are going to say, well, actually, no, you don't know what you're on about. Um, well, I do anyway. I don't know if that is the case for everyone else, but I think that's there's a couple of the reasons why imposter syndrome is just so challenging. So I spoke about why, what it is and how it comes about that we feel like imposters and why it's so challenging. But it's not necessarily all bad. So again, uh, Adam Grant, drink if you are going to drink, uh, spoke about this in his book, Think Again, which I highly recommend. Um, he looked at a few different examples where imposter syndrome is actually quite a useful thing. So the, a study looking at physicians found they were more empathetic, respectful, professional. They asked better questions and they shared more information. A study by uh, Basima found the same in investment professionals. When they felt like imposters, the more often they felt like imposters, the higher their performance reviews from supervisors were a few months later on, which I think is a really interesting finding. And imposter syndrome does mean that we probably are more motivated to work harder because our perceived incompetence means that we work hard to improve. The fact that I always felt like an imposter and that I didn't feel like I was good enough probably meant that I was working twice as hard and reading twice as much just to try and get myself to a level where maybe I would feel like I was good enough to do my job. And whether we ever get to that place where we feel like we are good enough as imposters, I'm not sure we do. But the fact that I felt like that did mean that I would put a lot of my time and effort into actually getting better at my job, which from a work perspective is obviously a positive thing. And Grant also suggests that we're actually better learners because the fact that we're not convinced by our own abilities means that we actually share information and we're more willing to be open to ideas from other people because we're not 100% convinced of our own uh, ability. So there are some positives in that we might just be more open to learning and to growing if we feel like imposters, whereas if I felt completely assured that I was fantastic and the best of all time, am I going to be as open to learning new things or listen to other people? Probably not. The last thing I wanted to talk about with regards to imposter syndrome is how do we fix it? And I use that phrase very lightly because I don't think it is fixed and I also don't think it needs fixing it probably needs reframing or reappraising for some people but I don't think it needs fixing but some of the things that we can do I think awareness is a big one awareness is one of the big things for any behavior change if you don't understand how you act or why you act you're never going to change it because you actually don't know what's going on so imposter syndrome clearly clouds our ability to um, see our own ability it's something that we can change. So I think if we do small things well, then we slightly progress and do more things. Um, and we just keep building up that evidence over time. I think that's a massive thing for a lot of imposters to do. One of the big things that I found early on was that I wasn't allowing myself to do that because of the feeling of being an imposter stopped me from doing work. And once I let myself live with it and do the work anyway, that allowed me to build up some evidence to actually reappraise 
maybe some of my feelings of being uh, an imposter. We need to look for evidence. So it's not enough to build the evidence up. We need to actually look at it and remind ourselves of it. So I personally keep a file of all the times that someone has said I've helped them, that I was brilliant, um, that I've changed their life, all the nice feedback that we get in our jobs. Um, and that means that in moments when work's really difficult and I don't feel cut out for it, that can remind me that I'm probably not awful at my job because I've got this big bank of evidence that suggests maybe I am. Another thing that I think is really useful is to write down the things that you are good at and the things that you're not good at. So one of the things with imposter syndrome is it's an inability to see what we're good at. It's a misdirection of our uh, focus on our abilities and our downsides. So I think looking at both is really important. You can, one of the things with imposter syndrome is because it's common in high achievers, they're not geniuses. They're not like some of the best minds of all time. So acknowledging that's really helpful, actually. You can see where you are strong and that increases your confidence because you're actually, I am really good at these things. And where you're not as strong, admitting that means that actually that's my area to work on for competence. And that gives me a clear path to improve both sides of that equation. So where can I try and improve my confidence with things I am good at? Where can I improve my competence with things that I'm not good at? So I think we do need to reframe this idea of imposter syndrome being bad. Um, we need to remember the order with which certain things happen. So it's not that we eventually have confidence in ourselves and then we're no longer imposters. We don't have to wait for our confidence to rise to achieve challenging things. We can build that confidence through uh, achieving challenging things. So this is something I'm big on with a lot of different uh, aspects of change. And I speak to clients a lot about it. We don't get motivated and then change. We change things and then become motivated. It's the same with courage. It's the same with confidence. They come after action. We can't wait or rely on waiting for those things and then take action because it doesn't happen. There's an element of we're going to feel like imposters because some of the things we're doing, we've never done before. And that's not a bad thing. So I think you can make yourself feel better by knowing that your uncertainty about a task probably isn't unjustified because you're you are new to it you are either new to this or it's work that no one's actually done before so to feel uncomfortable with that uncertainty is literally the point how can we feel comfortable with something when we don't know what's coming next and as long as that doesn't stop us from taking the next steps and doing the work there is absolutely nothing wrong with that so there's an element of just sitting with it rather than feeling it and then thinking well I've got to stop and you can sit with it and just do the work anyway um a Seth Godin quote that I really like which I think I've said before is time spent fretting about our status as imposters is time away from dancing with our fear from leading and from doing work that matters so worrying about imposter syndrome stops us from actually doing the work if we do the work that changes everything and then the last point on the reframing is that we're doing our best most of the time, particularly for imposters, they are working harder and trying to learn more, like we've said earlier. And you're doing your best then. And isn't that all you can do? So that's just acknowledging that is allowing you to do the work. If you just say, well, actually, this is my best. I can't concentrate on whether that's enough or whether I am really great or how I compare to other people. Just do your own best work consistently. And there's actually nothing more 
you can ask of yourself than that. And that gives you permission to get your work done without giving in to that resistance around feeling like an imposter. And then two more things that we can do. One is to speak about it. So by definition, most people with imposter feelings suffer in silence. So that was something that Imes, the uh, psychologist I mentioned at the start, says. He says most people don't talk about it. Part of the experience is that they're afraid they're going to be found out. So if we think we're going to be found out as not good enough, we probably won't tell other people because we're basically telling them we're not good enough. When actually speaking about it really helps. I first mentioned feeling like an imposter a few years ago on social media and had loads of people, coaches and non-coaches tell me, oh yeah, I feel like that as well. And it was only through speaking about my experience and speaking to them that I realised that I probably wasn't on my own. So actually it wasn't such a bad thing that I felt this way. And the last thing is self-compassion. So I speak about self-compassion a lot. It's one of the core components is called common humanity. So that's the idea that seeing our struggles and fails as core components of being a human rather than as a personal failing that makes us completely different to everyone else that can make us feel much better so struggling in your life doesn't mean there is something wrong with you it just means you are a human being and that's not necessarily a bad thing so that is me on imposter syndrome for now at least I think there are a lot of the thoughts I've had about it the things that I've read um, and how I sort of make sense of it myself I really hope that was useful it's a great topic it's really interesting um and yeah please let me know if you listen and find it useful please again review it on wherever you listen to your podcast share it with friends or with people at work like a few people have so thank you for doing that and if there's anything you'd like me to talk about or anyone you'd like me to talk with in the future then please just let me know once again thank you very much for listening have a great rest of the week bye